Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Girlfriend's Guide to Sports podcast. I'm your host, Claire Coles. And this is a special bonus episode all about the World Cup 2022. So here is everything you need to know when your company goes out to the local soccer bar to watch games. I've got you covered on the rules of the game, people to know, and of course, those dumb questions we have to ask. Every four years, 32 countries get to compete for the ultimate prize in soccer. And after a long drought, the U.S. men's team has qualified. This year's World Cup is the 22nd World Cup. The first one was in 1930, and you will notice that there is a gap of two there. Just like most major sporting events, due to World War II, the World Cup was canceled twice. So the U.S. men's national team has only been in 11 of those 22 with their best finish in 1930. So the first one when we got third place. This is the first World Cup for the Americans since 2014. However, that is not the longest drought we've ever had. Every World Cup between 1950 and 1990, the U.S. team did not qualify. I will say that does include 1950 we qualified and 1990 we qualified, but all in between there, we were absent. Team USA has only made it past group play six times. So let's go over how kind of the World Cup works. So we start with group play first in groups A through H. You play everyone in your group. Then we move on to the typical bracket format where you have to win the game to move on. The top two teams make it out of each group and onto tournament play. So how do you make it out? 
First, we look at points earned between all the teams. And you'll hear that constantly in the commentary. You get three points for a win, one point for a tie, and zero for a loss. So you'll hear them say, oh, you know, the United States gave up two points for a win today because they tied. Such a, Something like that. That's what they mean by that. It's the points you earn for a win versus a loss. So if there's a tie, then we go on to goal differentials. So that is goals for and then subtracting goals against for all the teams. That's the thing we look at next. If the teams are tied going into the next round, we look at goals scored in all matches. Then we go to points between the two teams, then goal differential between the two teams that are in question that are tied. Usually it's not for first place. Usually it's for second place because it doesn't really matter for first and second. You still move on, although it does decide your seating. So the goal differential between the two teams basically is that head-to-head matchup. Then the number of goals between the two. Then we finally end with fair play points, but it has rarely come to that. I don't know if it's ever come to that. And fair play points means how many points or how many players you had get a yellow card versus a red card. There's points assigned for that as well. The objective of the entire World Cup is to be the last team standing and to win the FIFA World Cup. You also win bragging rights for the next four years. Oh, and the $42 million check goes to the winning team as well. So that certainly helps. Each team that qualifies does get at least $9 million in prize money, and that's for getting last. So that is for getting 32nd. Not a bad payday for last place. The next World Cup will be in 2026 in North America. So this one is split between Mexico, the United States, and Canada. We have already announced the cities that will host that, Dallas and Houston being two of those. So who are the reigning champs? France. Last time, last time we had the World Cup, which was in 2018 in Russia, France won that. Who are the teams to watch out for? Brazil, Germany, and shocking, France. Although the French team has struggled with a growing list of injuries, so we'll have to see if they can live up to expectation. The favorites, according to Vegas odds, are Brazil and Argentina. You may recognize Argentina's leading star, Lionel Messi, who does definitely go into those odds. The most World Cup titles ever is won by Brazil with a total of five. Then Italy and Germany are tied in second with four apiece. Only eight countries have ever won a World Cup. So out of that 22, Brazil, Germany, Italy, Argentina, France, Uruguay, England, and Spain. Like I said earlier, the best finish the United States has ever had is in 1930 when we got third. Also, just a fun point I like to point out, the most red and yellow cards ever in World Cup history was there's two games actually tied with 16 apiece. In 2002, Germany versus Cameroon, there were 14 yellows awarded and two reds. And then again, in 2006, Portugal versus the Netherlands, there were 12 yellows and four red cards. So that's enough history. Let's go over the dates you need to know for this World Cup. So the first game was Sunday on November 20th between Qatar and Senegal. The first United States game will be against Wales at 1 p.m. on November 21st. Their next game will be versus England at 1 again on the day after Thanksgiving, so November 25th. 
Then we play Iran in our final group play match. That will be at 1 p.m. on the 29th. Then the first tournament bracket game will begin on December 3rd. Quarterfinals will start on December 9th. Semifinals will be on the 13th with the final on December 18th. So who is playing? There are 32 teams that qualified for the World Cup. I'm not going to list all 32 because that would just be super boring. But certain things you should note, unlike the Olympics, Team GBR or Great Britain is actually split up. So and only two countries from the UK made it. It is England and Wales. So you'll see their country code as ENG and WAL. The four nations that comprise the UK are England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. Also, obviously, Qatar is the host, and the host gets an automatic bid into the tournament. As to who is missing, Italy was the big upset as they actually won the Euro Cup but did not qualify for the World Cup. Sweden also missed out, and Ukraine was knocked out by Wales. Moving on with some famous names to know, and we're going to start with the United States with Sergino Dest. He is an American, normally number 21, but for the World Cup, he will be wearing number two. He is a defender and currently plays for Barcelona. That being said, he actually is on loan to AC Milan. This will be his first World Cup. Then also on Team USA, we have Weston McKenney. He is obviously an American, number eight, and he plays midfield. He currently plays for Juventus in Syria, and this will be his first World Cup. Perhaps the most noteworthy player on the American squad is Christian Pulisic. He is an attacking midfielder, meaning he is more of a game player, so he sets up a lot of goals. He will be wearing number 10. He currently plays for Chelsea, although right now he is on loan to Borussia Dortmund. This will also be his first World Cup as the United States has failed to qualify previously when he was on the national team. Now moving on to other teams, players that you just should know in the World Cup, starting with England, Harry Kane, who normally wears number 10, but for the World Cup, he'll be wearing number nine. He is a striker for the English team and a captain. He usually plays for Tottenham Hotspur, but he is on loan to Leicester City. This is his second World Cup. He played in the 2018 World Cup when England placed fourth. Kane can also become the highest scoring player for England, surpassing the great Wayne Rooney if he scores just two more goals. For France, you should know Kylian Mbappe. It is pronounced Mbappe. He is number seven and he is their leading forward. He usually plays for the team located in Paris, which is called Paris Saint-Germain. You could also call it PSG. He was also on the French squad in 2018 when they won the World Cup. The next one is a name you should recognize. Lionel Messi plays for Argentina. Usually he wears number 30, but for the World Cup, he will wear number 10, that number of the playmakers. He is a forward and also plays for PSG. This will be his fifth World Cup as he has played in four previously, 2006, 2010, 2014, and 2018. He is also a seven-time recipient of Le Ballon d'Or, which is the Golden Ball. I will explain that award in a bit. Another person you should know for Team Mexico is their goalie, Memo Ochoa. He is number 13. Again, he plays goalie. He plays for America in the Liga MX. 
This is also his fifth World Cup as well, as he also played the same ones as Messi. So 2006, 2010, 2014, and 2018. That's going to be a common theme because the next player you need to know, and women already know him, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. He plays for Portugal. He is a forward and usually wears number seven. He currently plays for Man U, except for as of today, he does not play for Man U anymore. So he will be a free agent. And like I said, common trend, this is also his fifth World Cup. He has played in 2006, 2010, 2014, and 2018. He currently holds the most goals ever scored on one international team at 117, whereas the previous record was 108. I'm sure that number will not stay that way. And finally, the last person you should know is Neymar, who plays for Brazil. He is a forward, wears number 10, and he also plays for PSG with Messi and Mbappe. He has played in the last two World Cups in 2014 and 2018, so this will be his third. And also, if you pay attention to the blog, I have linked a YouTube compilation of all of his famous flops, which I will explain that, what that means in a minute. So I told you I would go over the awards. So there are awards given out through the World Cup. There is the Golden Ball, which means you are basically the MVP. The Golden Boot means you scored the most goals in the World Cup. The Golden Glove goes to the best goalkeeper. The Young Player Award is the best player under 21 at the start of the calendar year that falls within the World Cup. So 2022. And finally, the fair play trophy goes to the team with the best record of fair play, which we kind of touched on when we talked about getting out of group play. So that is the minimum amount of or of all the teams of yellow and red cards. I also wanted to include this story. This is just a feel-good story. So during the 2001 UEFA Euro 2020 match, Christian Eriksen from Denmark collapsed on the pitch, suffering from cardiac arrest due to hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Don't hold the pronunciation to me on that one. He supposedly flatlined on the field and yet is back playing just eight months later. He now plays for Man U and Denmark in this tournament. So how do you go about watching these great games? So Fox is the official TV provider for the World Cup. So either Fox or Fox Sports 1, primarily in the States, but a lot of games can be found on Peacock and a little bit on NBC as well. I believe there's eight games. And finally, to round out what is going on at this World Cup before I get into kind of the rules of soccer, let's go over some of the firsts ever at this World Cup. So the Qatar World Cup is the first Middle East country to host the World Cup. There are also new offsides technology that will be used during games. So there actually will be a sensor in the ball and a limb tracker during the VAR system that you can actually see it. And if you are offsides by any limb, they will call it. This World Cup also allows teams to have five subs. It used to be less. Also, three women are among the referees for the first time in a World Cup. This is also the latest kickoff we've had, which is the end of November going into the holiday season. 
that kind of wraps it up for what I wanted to go over about this specific World Cup. So those of you who just wanted that update, you can stop listening now because I am going to go over really the basics of soccer. So this is for those of us who don't watch on a regular basis and need to be reminded of some of that vocab and a little bit of the rules. So let's start with the soccer rules of the game. Like I said, the basics. Soccer is a 90-minute game played between two teams of 11 players. The object of the game is to score more goals than your opponent by getting the ball into the net and fully over the goal line. So exactly opposite of American football, where all the football has to do is break that plane into the end zone. This is the exact opposite. Soccer, the ball has to go fully over the goal line for the goal to count. So a game starts with the coin toss that takes place before actually the game with each of the team's captains in which the visiting or away team calls the result. Usually it's heads or tails, but it could be like FIFA on this side and the, and Qatar on this side. If they get the call correct, they get to pick to either start with the ball or select the side of the pitch they would prefer, which also defers the kickoff to the other team. So the game starts with the kickoff. All players but the player actually doing the kickoff must be on their own half and must be and opponents must be 10 yards away. So then play begins. After halftime, there will be another kickoff, but by the other team and both teams will switch sides of the pitch. If the ball goes out of bounds at any time on the sidelines, a player can use their hands to throw the ball inbounds to resume play. Once a team scores by putting the ball again in the net and fully over the line, play resumes with another kickoff by the other team who did not score. Time continues to run through the entirety of the half, again, unlike American football. And then at the end, stoppage time may be added to account for the time lost. Time lost can be from retrieving a ball from out of bounds, injuries, etc. This will be notated as 45 plus three. That means there's three extra minutes of stoppage time on the first half, which counts up to that 45 minute mark. Teams play until time and stoppage time runs out. Whoever has the most goal at goals at the end wins. Also, just for those of you wondering, for American football players, this soccer field is actually longer than an American football field. The pitch is 120 yards long by 75 yards wide, and the goal is 24 feet wide, 8 feet tall, and 5 feet deep. So now let's go over some of those weirdo rules that for those of us who don't watch soccer regularly need to know when watching the World Cup. Time counts up. It is very strange for those of us who don't watch it, but then you add stoppage time on top of that, which is randomly, it seems like, determined by the referees. But the referees do a great job of determining how much time was lost due to injuries and in between plays, ball being out of bounds, and etc. Also, another thing Americans have been known to hate about soccer is games can end in a tie, especially in group play. However, once we get to the tournament round of the World Cup, matches will not end in ties. So I promise people there is a light at the end of the tunnel. After the end of regulation and stoppage time, the teams will play extra time. 
That is an extra, basically considered a half, but it is 30 minutes. That will be two 15-minute halves, and then that will be the end of extra time. So if the at the end of extra time, the teams are still tied, like in the MLS final that we just had, we move on to penalty kicks. This is also considered a shootout. So for more details, we'll go over that in the vocab. Also, another weird rule, each team only gets five substitutions, and if a but if the player gets a concussion, you can get a sixth, but once a player is subbed out of the game, they cannot come back in. So teams use those five subs very strategically. It is also a general rule that the goalie has to get rid of the ball within six section, seconds of a catch, otherwise it's considered wasting time, and he can get a talking to by the ref. Also, in contrast to American football, as long as the ball stays in bounds, a player can go in and out of bounds. As long as that ball doesn't cross over that line, you can still continue to play. A game can start, actually, as long as there are seven players on the field. That obviously won't be necessary for the World Cup. If you get blood on your shirt, you have to change. I will go ahead and throw out a shout out to my coworker, Hannah, here. She is the one who is a huge soccer fan, so she has been a huge help on this podcast and this blog post. She's the one who actually told me that. You just go to the sideline and you change your shirt and you go straight back in. So there's no substitution needed, but you do have to change your shirt. Also, last rule, if you get a red card in, in your team's final match of the tournament, you have to serve that penalty in the next official match. So let's go over some of those pesky vocab words that you may not know. Let's start with bicycle kick. This is when a player kicks the ball over their head in the opposite direction that their body is facing. This is kind of harder to explain than it is to like see and note what it looks like, but it will basically look like a player is about to do a backflip and then they land on their back, but they kick the ball over their head backwards. A corner kick is a kick from the corner of the pitch by the opposing team. So usually in front of the other team's goalie. A quarter kick happens when the goalie or defense is the last to touch the ball before it went out on their own end of the field. So a great example of a corner kick is awarded when a goalie deflects the ball out of bounds. Another word you'll hear often is a cross. That is a kick from the side of the field to the middle. Usually you can score a goal off of a cross. A flop is when a player falls mostly unnecessarily or at least overreacts to a fall in an effort to get a call from the referee. This is another one of those things that I know people who really favor American football, it drives them crazy. Also, let's go over a couple quick fouls. A foul is obviously a violation of the rules that gets a penalty, which is a free kick awarded. Common fouls are a handball by anyone, obviously, other than the goalie, kicking an opponent, pushing an opponent, offsides will be a common one. We'll go over that in a second. Tackling from behind or tripping an opponent prior to touching the ball. A free kick is what you get when you get a penalty or a foul is called on the other team. That is a kick taken by the team who was fouled on, so not who got the foul and caused the foul, but who was fouled on to resume play with no opposing players within 10 yards of the ball. You can also have an indirect kick, which has to be touched by one other player before it can be shot into the goal, or a direct kick, which is exactly like it sounds, kicked by that player and can go straight into the goal. 
In contrast to a corner kick, a goal kick is a kick that gets kicked from the corner of the goal box by the team on defense. So a goal kick is awarded when the offense was the last to touch the ball. A great example of that is a missed shot that actually goes straight past the goal out the back. A hat trick is when a player scores three goals or more in one game. A soccer game is actually called a match, so don't call it a game. Call it the match. Offsides. Let's go over this one because this is super important. This is a violation when the offensive player is positioned closer to the goal than the last defender and receives a pass from a teammate who is in front of the defender. This applies to any limb, so foot, arm, anything. So a forward can move past the last defender once that ball is in the middle of the pass and in action and has left their teammate's foot, but not before. A penalty kick is if a foul happens inside the goal box or the penalty box, a player from the fouled team gets to attempt a kick on goal. The ball is placed at the 12-ish yards from the goal and the player will shoot and only the goalie can stop it. Now, once the shooter touches the ball, the other players can run into the penalty area, but usually it's a straight shot on the goal. So in A little bit of contrast to that penalty kicks as far as like a shootout goes is what we go into for after extra time is over. If teams are still tied, we go to penalty kicks. So each team gets five shots exactly like I just described. So just the shooter versus the goalie and each team will get five shots by five different players. It goes to the best of five first. So if team A scores all three of their first PKs and their goalie blocks the first three from the other teams, then the game ends because the other team can't physically catch up and can't score enough within five to even the score. So they don't need to take all of the penalty kicks. This is exactly what happened at the MLS final. We did not use all five penalty kicks. If the teams are tied at the end of five penalty kicks, we move to basically sudden death. So one and one. So if a team gets their their PK and the other team misses, the game is over. Also, a soccer field is called a pitch. Like red card is the ultimate penalty from the referee. It throws a player out of the game and they have to sit out the next. And that player cannot be replaced by a teammate. So they team must play down a player. While a yellow card is a penalty from the referee to symbolize a minor infraction, but it is considered a warning. So you get two yellows that equals a red and then you're thrown out of the game. And if you are a repeat offender and get two yellow cards a game apart, you will still have a one match ban for the next game. Yellow cards do reset when we move into the tournament round. That pretty much goes over vocab besides positions. So let's go over what those positions are. So you've got the most notable uh, players on the field are the strikers and forwards. That is the position who plays up near the opponent's goalie, and their objective is to take shots on goal. The striker is the player positioned closest to the uh, opponent's goal, so like a center forward. And again, thanks to my coworker, you can also hear this called a true number nine because that is used to describe the striker who usually is wearing number nine. A midfielder is the position exactly like it sounds between the forwards and the defenders. They usually do the most running as their job is to move the ball from the defensive half of the field to the offensive half of the field. 
The defense is the position that is the last line of defense in front of the goalie, and their objective is to stop forwards from taking shots. And finally, the goalie, who is the player that stands inside the goal. They are the only ones who can touch the ball with their hands in bounds and also in the penalty box. He cannot pick up the ball that has been passed back to him from one of his own players. And now my favorite part of any podcast that I do like this when I do a deep dive. Let's ask those quote unquote dumb questions you don't want to ask your boyfriend about soccer. So I got asked, why do I see a player go off and never come back in again? That just means that player was a substitute. So obviously playing a 45 minute consistently running clock half is exhausting. So you can sub out a tired or injured player, but each team only gets five per game. So they better be used strategically. Once a player is subbed, he cannot go back in as I previously described, and you can only sub on dead balls. Next question I got is why does the goalie wear a different color? They do that so that their teammates, officials, and fans can distinguish between them and other players, especially since they have a different set of rules. They can use their hands in the goalie box. It makes things simpler to see, especially for the refs, when, especially when the goal is crowded, like in a corner kick scenario, it's easier to see that the goalie was the one who indeed used his hands in the box. How do you tell the difference between a free kick and a penalty kick? So a free kick, indirect or direct, can have defending players standing in front of it. They'll usually be in a wall formation and usually guys put their butts forward so that they don't have to aim at something else. This is also when a foul has occurred occurred outside that 18-yard box, that penalty box. A penalty kick is literally just the shooter and the goalie. So like we said with PKs in the shootout, it is just one-on-one. And this is a big deal because it has been proven to produce a goal more than 80% of the time in World Cup matches. And final question actually was asked to me once the World Cup had already started. So literally the first goal in the World Cup, which was scored by Ecuador, was taken away due to offsides. Why? This is definitely not a dumb question because this is just a very weird rule and it's rarely seen. So when the goalie comes up out of his box like Qatar did and is is ahead of other defenders, then the offense has to be in front of two players on defense. Otherwise, he is off sides. So to make that a little bit easier, think of the final and last defender is now considered, quote unquote, the goalie. He cannot use his hands, but that's basically kind of what you consider it. And then the second to last defender is the one the offense has to stay in front of. So usually when you're called offsides, you're on the you're, it's because you passed the last defender before the goalie. Well, if the goalie is up, you still have to have two players behind you to be considered on sides. So as shown on the blog, I do actually have a picture of when it happened in the Ecuador versus Qatar game. There's a red box when Valencia's leg was in front of the second to last defender when the actual ball was passed to him. So that hopefully explains that a little bit better than the refs did. (laughs) I know even the crowd was confused on that one. That wraps it up for Tis the Season for the World Cup 2022. Hopefully you're a little bit more versed and feel confident enough to talk soccer when you do go to a soccer bar to watch Team USA play. 
Again, a huge shout out to my coworker, Hannah, who helped out with the podcast and blog and who was a soccer stud herself. Go Team USA.